Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. I don't know if you're familiar, but but our church believes in life at all at all stages of life. Uh, we believe that God created us in His own image, and it's an it's it's a holy thing, and we take life serious, and we believe in protecting it. And so um, today's Sanctity of Life Sunday, and actually, uh, Pastor Don and Linda. Uh, brought this to me, uh, brought this couple to me uh, last year, actually, and said, hey, this would be a wonderful thing. They're going to be in town. Why don't you consider it? And so um, so we were able to get together. They were in town for the, uh, for the life march on Friday, the life walk on Friday in D.C. And so uh, we are so thankful to have them here this morning. Beth and I were able to have lunch with them uh, last night. And, um, and I don't know, I may ask them if they could just move up here and uh, become part of our church. <laughs> uh, they're real people doing real ministry. And, um, and it was such a great night last night. And so I'm going to let them tell their story. Their names are Jack and Sheila Harper. And they're, uh, they have a ministry called Save One. And so could you give them a warm Hedgesville Church welcome as they make their way to the stage? And if I fall into a southern accent, it's just because I think theirs is really cool, and uh, and ours is kind of neutral. So, um, listen, you guys have heard me say over and over and over again: um, every time you give grace a shot, it works. Every time. And when I sit down and talk to people, I tell them that they're difficult circumstances. I say every time you give grace to the opportunity, it works. And so it's oftentimes in the difficult circumstances where you find out. Where, where Paul is praying and praying and praying, God, heal me, heal me. And he says, my grace is sufficient. And Paul fleshes that out in his life going forward, that it was enough. It works every time you give it a shot. So whenever anybody is in a difficult circumstance, they come to me, I say, listen, if you give grace the opportunity, it works every time. If you don't, you'll never know. You'll never know. And one of the things I found out about the two of you is you have amazing grace stories. <laughs> The, your whole life is this amazing grace story. And so I'm going to shut up for a little bit and let them tell their story. Uh, it's wonderful. You can go online. It's, it's called um, saveone.org. You go online and read a bunch of stuff there. But we have them here this morning, and we're going to let them uh, share their story and why they're here. Well, do you want to go first? You want me to go first? No, I, I'll let you go first. But one thing I want to say is that if, if great grace is given, great grace was needed. Yeah. And we were a mess. Yeah. So I'll let Sheila start with the yeah, mess. Because she was more of a mess. Than <laughs> I don't know about that. But, um, well, to begin with, I guess um, I was raised in church. And or typically, uh, actually non-typically, I was, I was kind of bounced around raised in church. But I found myself at 19 years old pregnant. And I knew that I didn't want to go back to my dad, who was military, six foot six, and tell him that I was pregnant and not married. And so on March 29th, 1985, I had an abortion. 
and it was absolutely horrible. I knew right from wrong because I had been in church most of my life, but at the same time, I knew society was telling me that this was an okay choice for me. And I kept thinking if the Supreme Court has okayed it and made it legal, then it must be okay, and there's just something I'm not seeing. And so at 19, I justified that decision. And it was from that day forward, for the next seven years, I just became obsessed with death. I wanted to die. I couldn't face what I was doing or what the choice I had made. And usually the difference between this problem and other problems is you can figure out a way out of a problem. If you, if you overdraft your bank account, you can fix that. If you hurt someone's feelings, you can go back and apologize. You, you know, there's a way to fix problems. But with this problem, you can't because it's just over and done with. And you have to live with that choice. And nobody tells you that part. That, that you're not that you're you're going to live with the regret and the shame and the guilt for the rest of your life and and as a, a mother we're not geared to make this choice life and death decision for another human being and so it goes against the very nature of who we are as mothers who we are as fathers to to provide and protect our, our families and our children and so anyway for the next seven years I, I attempted suicide during that time and I just, I started taking enormous amounts of drugs and drinking enormous amounts of alcohol, trying to die when suicide didn't work. And so I um, finally I met this guy in a bar, and, <laughs> and I was so drunk, and I'm just going to be honest, I was so drunk, I didn't even remember the next day his name or anything. My roommate had to tell me who he even was. When he called, I was like, who is this again? And, and she told me, and 30 years later, here we are, and we're married, and we had every odd against us, and I'll let him tell his part, but uh, it wasn't until a year and a half after we were married, I finally confessed the abortion to him, knowing he was going to leave me, divorce me, hate me, and even though we didn't know Jesus at the time, he loved me like Jesus would and said, we'll get through this and we'll figure this out. And honestly, if he's honest, I think he was probably relieved because he was like, now we know what's wrong with you and we can get some help. And so it was still a couple of years after that before I finally found my way to the local pregnancy center who was offering a class for women who had had an abortion and were suffering afterward. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's a class? Like there's enough of us that they had to form a class? And Because I thought I was the only one. Because after an abortion, it's like you go into a closet and hide. And you work overtime to keep your secret. And so you start thinking, I'm the only one. And, if, and especially if you're in a church and nobody's talking about abortion, you think I am the only person in this entire church who has ever had an abortion. And that's what the enemy wants you to think, because then he can keep you isolated and quiet, because he knows a person with the, who has been shown great grace is a powerful tool in the hands of a powerful God. And so I sat there like, you know, I was thinking I was the only one, and to think that there were enough of us that there was a class, it made me so happy. And I went to this class, and they got me back to the God of my youth. And I realized that he did love me in spite of making such a horrible choice. I recognized my sin. I owned my choice. I asked for forgiveness, was able to walk in forgiveness for myself. 
And, and from there, I, I loved that feeling so much. I wanted to stay in it. And I immediately started teaching their abortion recovery program. And through that and a move to Nashville from Chattanooga, Tennessee, we, I started Save One and the rest is history. It's been 19 years now. I've been doing this ministry and am fully convinced, fully. And I know this is an audacious claim, but we serve an audacious God who does audacious things. I truly believe it is through abortion recovery that is the key to ending abortion in our country and around our world, is by getting the people who know the truth in our communities telling that truth. And so that's my my part of the story. (laughs) So at 13, uh, me and a bunch of guys were out on a camp out, and we decided that we would go buy some beer. And I had no idea at 13 years old that a, that a Friday night indiscretion would turn into a lifelong bondage. From 13 until I was 36 years old, I drank almost every day. I was an alcoholic. I was a high-functioning alcoholic. Uh, I would work all day, do my job. I was, I was very good at what I did. But as soon as, uh, as, soon as I got off work, the, the whole goal was to just drink. And so that, that happened all through high school and all through college and then even after we got married. And, and men, the influence that you have over your family, can I just tell you, she went back. She found healing and hope and restoration in God and God's word. It made a difference in her. And I continued to drag her over into my world. Your influence is strong. So for me, I was leading my family straight to hell. I, I had, I, that's what I, and I didn't do it on purpose I had no control over the channels anymore. And so we moved to Nashville. I, I thought, you know, I'll just find new friends, new new places. And when we got to Nashville, one of the things that happened was her sister had called and said, hey, you guys got to go check this church out. And we'd been in and out of church. I'd spent literally thousands of dollars every year trying not to be in church. So she would say, she would say, hey, let's go to church this morning. And we lived in Nashville. And I'd say, let's go to St. Louis and watch a ball game. And so I'd spend that money to not be in church. Seriously, I, it, church scared me. Um, it, it, what happened is we went to a spirit-filled church. And when, I'm, when I was in a spirit-filled church, um, John 16 says the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment of sin. And his conviction of sin in my life and when I was in the church was just overwhelming to me. And I, 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 I totally couldn't process that. So anyway, I, it, my drinking had progressed. I'd started back into drug use. And in 1998, I, I started really wanting to be having a relation, have a relationship with Christ. I wanted to have a relationship with God. I wanted to have a relationship with Holy Spirit, and, but I still couldn't let go. I didn't have the ability to let go of a 12-ounce bottle. And so September 6, 1998, we had... Uh, I had drank all day the day before, probably 15 beers or so. And uh, Sheila said, let's go to church. And and sometimes, honestly, sometimes it was just easier not to argue or not to spend the money. So I went. And while I was sitting in church, third row back, I'll see left-hand side of the building. And I always find it. It's an altar of victory for me in every church that I go in. It was in in a gym. Yeah, we were in a gym, just Uh, set up just exactly like this. (laughs) That, That seat back there. The Lord spoke to me and he said, Jack, give me everything or I'll take everything from you. And when he said that, I I knew the Old Testament. I had read enough of that to scare myself to death. 
and, and to be scared of his power and understand that he was serious. And I just simply said, Lord, I want to do that, but I don't know how. And he said, I will take you by the hand and lead you home. So when I came to church that morning on September 6th, I was an alcoholic. When I left there, I was delivered of alcohol and drugs, and I've never had a drop of drink, to drink since. God totally delivered me that day. And that great grace, yeah. That great grace became a launch point for my family because Sheila was willing. She, in fact, she wanted for us to be involved in church. And so we decided that, that me being 36 years old, Sheila being 33 at the time, that whatever God asked, we would say yes. And so from that point forward, we just started telling everybody about what Jesus had done. Because, you know, Proverbs eighteen twenty one says the power of life and death or, or death and life are in our tongue. And so if, if, we're, if we're speaking what God has done for us, if we're, if we're doing what 2 Corinthians says, if we're comforting others with the comfort that we've been comforted with, if we're saying it, then people are going to be drawn to us because they have similar issues. People are drawn to Sheila because of the, the choice that she had made and the, and the healing and the hope and the restoration that happened in her life and the same with me. And so we just started telling everybody. We started telling everybody because when you tell that, then what you're doing is you're overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And not only do we do that in Revelation 19.10, it says this, it says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when I tell my testimony to somebody, that's a prophetic word to somebody else that God will do what he did for me for them. And so we just, we won't shut up about it. Great grace absolutely demands a great testimony. And, and we're, we're willing to give those. That's amazing, isn't it? So, so God delivers both of you. You're married. And you say yes to? Everything. Everything? <laughs> Everything. So in, uh, that was 1998. We, we had kind of a weird thing happen. The, the Christian education pastor at the time, we were going, we were going to a huge church. He called. I, I can remember driving through Kentucky at the time, and he called and said, hey, this was 2000. He said, hey, I want you to teach a Sunday school class. And, and I said, I think you, you dialed the wrong number. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm like a year and a half, barely, uh, been saved. And I said, I, I, don't, I don't think this is... I don't think this is God, man. I don't, I'm, I'm new at this, you know? And he goes, no, I, I believe that this is who is supposed to do this. You're who's supposed to do this. So I said, well, let me, let me pray about it, you know? And God's over there saying, what did you say? And I said, I said, I'd, be, I'd say yes. So, so we, we agreed. The, the class that we took over was end-time prophecy. And so I asked, I said, could I just get some grace here on that? Because I, I don't even know what end-time prophecy means fully, but I would like to just teach on the love of Jesus. And they said, do that. I said, okay, thank you. So the first week we had 52, we were, we were in a, a small classroom. I stood just like this, although I didn't have a, a microphone, I was scared to death. I told my testimony, you know, sometimes when you tell your testimony, you don't have to tell everything. Um, We had 52 the first week. We had 26 the next. I said, I'm going to math out of this in like three weeks. I don't have to do this anymore. But from that 26, we had 26 people there that wanted other people to know what the love of Jesus did. And that, that Sunday school class grew 
from 26, from the 52, 26, it grew to 200. Our, our senior pastor came and said, you cannot have a Sunday school class with 200 people in it. So we're going to, we're going to split it. And I said, well, let's say we're multiplying it. We're going to make two because I don't like negative words because the words have power of life and death in them. So he said, okay. So he, he multiplied it. We had a hundred, another, uh, we launched the class out. It grew back to 200. He came again. He, he did the same thing. It grew back to 150. He said, we're not even letting it get to 200. It, and it just kept happening. And, and during that process, we realized that God was wanting us to uh, continue in that ministry mode and to do that full time. So in 2003, he called us into ministry. Uh, 2005, I got my credentials. 2000, I didn't go to seminary. I was, you know, we, we had a family. I couldn't just drop everything and run off to school. So uh, there's a process that Assemblies of God has to, to help ministers come on board. Yeah. And in 2007, we planted a church. And we pastored for 11 years there at that church until last, last September. Yeah. So give us a rundown of what, of what the ministry part looks like. You're, you're all over the place. Yes, absolutely. In that same year in 2000 was when God birthed this ministry. And it, it was because I kept hearing these women say, as I was teaching another curriculum, pretty much the only Bible study that was out there for abortion recovery, I would teach that curriculum and I would hear women say, if I could just save one unborn baby, I would be willing to tell my story. And the very first class that I taught in Nashville at our new church, I heard a woman say that. But that time, it was like all the bells and whistles went off and I knew God was doing something. And he started showing me how these women needed a platform to tell their stories, that the public needs to hear the truth of what abortion does to you, because we don't hear that from the media and from politicians and, you know, our society. And so I start, you know, the wheels are turning and I don't know what this looks like. And, and the, the very first class I offered at this church, 10 women showed up. They formed my first board. We pulled our money and got the nonprofit status. We named it Save One and all of that took place in 2000. Well, I literally thought it was just going to be a little Bible study that I taught at my church. And that was all I was prepared to do. And I was fine with that. And I think if God showed us the big picture, sometimes we would go running out the door and say, there's no way. But I started having dreams of being on stages and telling people that I had had an abortion. And I would be like, I would wake up in a nightmare and in a cold sweat. And it was getting so bad that he was having to lay his hands on my head to help me go to sleep because I would fear like I was going to be standing in front of people and telling them I had an abortion. And I was like, I can never do that. Don't make me do that. But finally, you know, God got his way. Obviously I'm here. And, um, we started, he just started showing me how we needed to multiply ourselves. And so we developed a training and it's like, it just started happening. And, and it, it wasn't because I was this savvy businesswoman who knew how to take a nonprofit forward. It was like it, doors just started opening and I had promised him, I'll help whoever you put in my path. I'll just go, we'll just do it. And so we just started walking forward and, and he would bring people into my path that would help me. And I mean, people like uh, our accountant who has been with us 
for, we've, we've been in existence for 19 years. I think she's been with me 16 years, has never charged me a dime, audits our books, keeps us IRS compliant, takes care of my receipts, all that kind of stuff. And she just wants to serve and has never, I mean, it's like God has brought people continually into our path like that. And, and, and 13 years ago, we got offered a condo because we were growing out of our, our living room. And uh, we got offered a condo to come and stay. This office, this two-story brick office complex never charged us a dime. We were there for 13 years, never charged us a dime. And he paid the taxes on it, everything. And, and it was unbelievable. And finally, he was about to retire and he wanted to sell the property. He sold it to us last year for 60% of the market value. We were able to raise the money in 18 months and we paid cash for it. It was awesome. So it's, uh, it's little things like that, that, you know, it, it's just God who just drops these things. It, but I know that it's because his hand is heavy upon the abortion recovery movement because it's his people, it's his daughters and his sons. We were having so much success at this church, getting the women through this class. It's just a simple Bible study that we teach and incorporate into the small group system. But we were having so much success that a man came and asked to go through the women's class. And it was the first time I had ever thought a man may suffer too after an abortion. And so I, I said, yeah, sure, come on. And I had no idea what I was doing. But at the time, I, when looking back on it, I'm so glad now because I fully had to rely on the Holy Spirit as to what to do. And it was beautiful. They, This man came, went through the class with these eight other women, ended up moving to Europe, started Save One Europe, went to China, started Save One China, came back to the States, he and his wife, they're both on our staff now. I mean, it's just amazing what God will do. But I wrote the first curriculum. Finally, when God started showing me we needed to multiply ourselves and start chapters in churches and pregnancy centers, I wrote the first book, uh, just the women's curriculum. It has now been translated into 15 different languages. And then when men started asking to go through the women's class, I wrote the men's study. But then we started having grandparents and siblings of aborted children, people who drove someone to an abortion clinic or paid for a friend's abortion. And 20 and 30 years later, they're still, they can even say the word abortion or tears. They're telling me their story with tears running down their face. I wrote a third Bible study called The Ripple Effect. And it's just for the peripheral people around that one abortion. Statistics tell us that up to 25 people are affected by one abortion. I saw my two sisters grieve my abortion. And it was hard to watch them hurt so badly because of my selfish choice. I've seen my two sons have to deal with the aftermath of my choice. And so a lot of people are affected. It's not just about the woman and her choice. It is about the entire family. This is a family crisis in our generation happening on our watch. And so as we continue to move along, God just keeps giving me books to write, and it's so exciting, and I love it. But we now have grown to the size where a little over 200 chapters in 21 different countries. Mm. And I know that you do not grow to that size if there's not a need. There is great 
great need in our country and around our world. What would you say is the is the biggest roadblock for the church ministry? Mm-hmm. Not not obviously not every church is doing this. Not every church is is um, having the conversation. Not every church is pushing into that. Um, what what would you say is the biggest roadblock uh, for churches being able to reach out and minister to people? Walking through this. Uh, the biggest roadblock that we have seen is, and I think this is ingenious, that the pro-abortion side of this debate made this issue completely political. And I think, yeah, years ago. And I think churches, and, and with all of us, a lot of times when I'm teaching in seminars, I'll ask people, what's the first thing you think about when you say the word abortion? And people will say politics. And so a lot of churches will think, oh, we don't want to get political when you bring up the abortion issue. Because that's the way we've been geared to think, that this is a political issue. And it is absolutely not a political issue. This is an issue that is clearly mapped out in God's word, how he he knit us together in our mother's womb. You said it earlier, we're created in the image of God. There is no life that is a mistake. And I don't care how it was conceived. It's who you become. It's not how you were conceived. We can't say, we can't take God out of the equation when it comes to life. And we were never created as mothers and fathers, as human beings, to make the decision for life or death for another human being. God is the only one who is sovereign and can make that choice. So we see a lot of pastors wanting to avoid this subject because they think we don't want to bring politics in. They don't want to offend people and run people off who are who may be pro-abortion. And so... Uh, that's probably the biggest hurdle is is changing that mindset to realize no this is a this is a a an issue that belongs squarely in the church this is the place where we should be dealing with this issue not in the they shouldn't be determining life and death in congress and with the house of Reverend. i mean that makes no sense and and i feel like the church was silent back in 1973 when roe was was passed and now we've raised an entire generation to think that abortion is okay because that's all they've known. And so it's up to the church. And I believe it's the church's responsibility that, that when the church rises up and we recognize our power again and pastors who have the, the backbone to speak of abortion from the pulpit, we're so thankful when we find pastors like this. When we have enough people talking, then politics will follow us instead of us following politics. That's good. Tell me what people need. What people need? Well, when, when, when we're, <laughs> when, when, um, you know, there, there's, including myself, there's people here who've never knowingly encountered or had the conversation I'm sure it, it, it's happened, but you just don't know about it. And, yeah. and for all the reasons you said earlier, you know, nobody wants to talk about it. There's shame. There's all these things. So, so tell us as a church body, how do you, how do you care for the, how do you care for yes. people who have walked through okay. something like that? Go ahead. Yeah. The most powerful thing that can happen is what you're doing right now. Because you have one of the most powerful places on this earth on a Sunday morning. You, you have these, these people here, the next service, when you guys are combined, the unity is even stronger, but they're here to hear what the pastor is saying. And they trust the pastor. You should trust the pastor. You should give honor to the pastor. 
And when you talk about it, then you make a pathway for people to come. Yeah. When you talk about it and you, you have uh, a resource, you know, a lot of pastors would love, would love to preach on sin. They love to preach on sin. Hell's hot. Hell's sure. Jesus is good. That's the way to keep away from it. But, but when you do that with the issue of abortion, so many times the, the pastor doesn't know what to do next. Yeah. And you've got to open up the healing portion of it. You, you give them hope. You help them through God's word get to healing, and then their families are restored. So what you're doing here this morning is one of the most powerful things that can ever happen. You make a way for the community because even if you guys don't have that, that abortion in your past, you don't, if, if you don't know somebody you know, right offhand that you can think of, when you're out, if you're telling about this lady that came to church this past Sunday or two weeks ago or a month ago, when you're out in the community... You make a way for people to come because they see this as a place of healing, a place of hope, and a place of restoration and because God is here. And, and just to add to that, we just came back from D.C. where we were at the March for Life and we had meetings and went to conferences and stuff. And the, the number one thing they kept saying were 60 million. There have been 60 million abortions in our country alone. That, and, and we're only we're one of seven nations who allow late-term abortions on the planet, one of seven. So with 60 million abortions, when you average that out across our population, that's one out of every three women. So that means there's one out of every three men have lost a child to abortion. So, so if you're sitting here and you think, I don't know anybody who's had an abortion, I promise you, you do. There is probably not a family in this room that is not affected by abortion. Because it is so rampant in our society. A cousin, an aunt, a, a grandmother who had an abortion. I mean, it's like it is rampant in our society. And even though abortion numbers are going down every year, we're, we're still having nearly a million a year happen in our country. And so when we, we look at this, we have to be cognizant. So, so when you ask what we need, we have to be cognizant of our words. And it's easy to say, to start yelling like, they're killing babies, they're murderers, they're, you know. But if you think about the statistics, there's somebody in your family who's hearing you, who's, who you may send over the edge, and you're driving them deeper into themselves instead of drawing them to Jesus. Because when they're drawn to Jesus, then they can get the healing. They can go through a study, or he can deliver them in a moment. They don't have to go through save one to be healed, but that's an, an option. But once they're healed, then they become one of the loudest voices in this issue. Because it's almost like you're compelled to tell people what God has done for you yeah. after this. Um, when you said that, I was just reminded when Jesus, you know, walks up to the woman caught in adultery. Mm-hmm. And, and his response versus the church's yeah. at the time response. And, right. and, how, and how, you know, he was full of grace and mercy. And... Um, what, um, when, when you navigate, I mean, this is, this is the grief process on steroids, mm-hmm. uh, because it's not, it's not just losing someone, it's losing someone because of something you, you've done. Absolutely. And so can you, can you help us navigate that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I know a lot of people here have been through the grief process, but maybe not so much by their own hand or by the, by, by a decision they've made. Yeah. And so um, can you walk us through some steps about... Absolutely. 
Absolutely. The, uh, it, what we do at Save One is it's like we take God's word and we focus it like a laser beam on that wound that abortion leaves you with. And so week after week, they're working through subjects like the very first week is your source of courage. It's like we just focus on God. This is who God is in your life. And we discuss, like, how do you picture God? Do you picture him as a little rickety old man in a rocking chair on the front porch who can't help you at all? Or is he some big mean man with lightning bolts waiting to zap you? Or is he your loving father? So it's, it's, you get a feel for who is God really in your life. And then you go into and you remember, we talk about and discuss what happened to you. What are the details? Because you have to pull it out. Because a, a, a lot of times it's like, you just put layer after layer after layer on, and you have to take off the layers and expose the wound to the light, yeah. figuratively and literally. You have to expose it to the light because it can't heal when it's covered up. So un- so unpacking that is important. And a lot of people will, will buck the system and say, well, that's not even scriptural, but I like to take them back to the Garden of Eden. This is the very first time we saw God made Adam and Eve restate what they did. It wasn't because yeah. he was looking for information. He was making them own their choice. Yeah. And so by having to restate what they did, having to come out with it in a safe environment that's confidential, you uh, and we teach in the training, like you don't talk about anything outside this, these walls. Yeah. But these people, these men and women are able to say, this is what happened to me. This is what I went through. And so it's like it pulls everything out. Then they start focusing on these stray emotions. Men especially have, we see, with tons of anger. Don't you see that? Our men's director for Save One. Uh, that's our number one, the number one thing that men come in with is tons of anger. Because there's nothing, a lot of times, that they could have done about the abortion and they wanted that child uh but then there's there's all these symptoms so you go through different stray emotions that you may be dealing with and we work through those what does scripture say about those stray emotions um we go into uh we study one week just god's grace like you're the grace of of what he has for you that covers the sin of abortion we go through renewing your mind Thinking on the things that are true and not the lies of the enemy and separating those two. And then we go into forgiving others because a lot of times a parent forced a child or uh, uh, the girl had the abortion without his consent or the husband forced the wife or, I mean, there's like all these different stories and a lot of times other people played into this choice. And so they go through forgiving others and then, but they talk about forgiving themselves and forgiving themselves is just allowing Jesus death on the cross to be enough to cover the sin of abortion. It's not actually bestowing forgiveness upon ourselves, but just saying, you know what? It's actually an act of pride to hold your sin up above what Jesus did on the cross. And so when they recognize that, it's like, oh my gosh, that's true. Why would I think my sin was greater than what he did on the cross? He took care of it on the cross. And so allowing that forgiveness into your life and then walking free from it. And then toward the end of the class, which is, this is the doozy. 
we recognize our child and we give that child the honor and the dignity that was not bestowed on them at the time of their death, but at the time we, we give that child life. We name them. They pray and ask God about the gender. Was it a male or a female? Sometimes they already know. Uh, we talk about what their characteristics may be. We talk about what heaven may be like for them, what they picture their child being like. So, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult class, but it's really cool because we always like to tell people in our training that it's a, an addictive place to sit as the leader. Because you see, you're literally on the front row of God's miracles, watching his transformation come to life in someone's life week after week. So it's really cool. The Bible is full of stories of uh, imperfect people and God meeting them right in the middle of their imperfection. Mm -hmm. It's just over and over, all through the Old Testament, the New Testament. I'm reminded of David, who was an amazing man, and yet had these huge cracks in his life of sin and God meeting him over and over again through that process. And, um, and what I'm confident of is, uh, is that God is still doing the same thing. He's still doing the same thing. He's still every day in our lives meeting us in the difficulty, meeting us in in the circumstance that we create, meeting us, um, uh, when we have nowhere else to turn, no, no, no other resource to go to, uh, if we can, if we can find the energy to look up, mm-hmm. uh, we can find our help. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm just so encouraged this morning. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask them to do something. Um, we're we're going to do this service again. There's there's people watching online, and uh, and I believe uh, that that God's presence is here to heal, to start the healing process, to, to, um, to really minister to people. So can I just have you guys pray for us? Absolutely. Would you do that? We'll, we'll, we'll just pray together as a church. And, um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this was your Sunday to show up and hear the hope that you needed to hear this morning. Maybe it was your Sunday to show up and hear what you, the hope you needed to give someone else. Maybe it was the forgiveness you needed to give someone else. And, um, and I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit would solidify that in our hearts today. Um, it was a terrible morning to come to church. <laughs> and if you didn't wear your muck boots, your feet got soaked, your, your good clothes got soaked, but there's a message of grace and hope uh, when you make the journey. And so uh, I would just love for you guys to pray that over us as a church that, that we would be effective, that, that God's spirit would, would heal this morning and, uh, and start that process. Would you guys do that? So, Lord, we're here. And, Lord, we're asking you to come and do what you do. Lord, for those that are here this morning and hearing for the first time that there's hope within the situation that they're in, whatever that is, Lord, whether it is alcohol whether it is drugs, whether it is an addiction to pornography, gossip, or food, whatever that is, Lord, that there's hope and that your healing, your deliverance covers them. Lord, that there's restoration in their lives. Father, your word says in Deuteronomy that, that our strength is as our days. And so, Lord, some, some days, because we're carrying junk and baggage into the next day, that day doesn't really happen the way that it should. 
And so, Lord, we're praying that healing happens over everybody. Lord, that that we don't carry baggage from one day to the next. And, Lord, that your grace is sufficient for that day. And, Lord, that you will take and and that you will will add to our lives that that the essence of you and your love would just permeate each and every one of us. And, Lord, that happens because of unity, Lord. It happens because unity produces an anointing and that it is the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage in people's lives. So, Lord, we thank you for that happening here this morning. I know that there's unity when people come and get through what looks like it's uh, inclement weather or whatever. Lord, this is the group. This is the group that bonds together, locks arms, and they pray and they believe for one another. So, Lord, let that unity rule and reign this morning. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over this magnificent church. Lord, I pray right now that you are... are setting hearts and minds toward you, Lord. I feel strongly that there are people in this audience that have been overwhelmed and overcome with the issue of abortion. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you are fixing their minds and that they are recognizing that they don't have to go out and do something national. Working in their community is the most powerful thing that they can do. In communities all across this country, the truth is getting out that abortion is horrible for families. It's horrible for men and women. And that your message is coming through, Lord, that choosing life is how we live life to the fullest. And so, Lord, I pray right now that if you are stirring hearts to to get involved in this movement, to do something with the pregnancy center, or to get involved here at the church, Lord, I pray that you are raising these people up and that they are compelled to go and do whatever you are calling them to do. Lord, let them have the bravery and the courage knowing that you are their source of courage, not their own self, but you are their source, Lord. I pray right now that this church will be that beacon on a hill for all of Hedgesville and all of this entire area, God, way far beyond this town. That, that, that they will be seen as the light, as the, that yes. church that you can go to and deal with relevant problems that are true, that are, are real in everybody's lives, Lord. Open the doors of healing and grace and power and unity, Lord, so that people will come to know you in a mighty and powerful way. And the kingdom will be built far beyond anything we can imagine. It it all starts out of this church, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And we pray all of this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen, amen. Come on, could you give him praise and honor for what he's done? Amen. Come on, why don't you stand? Could you also thank them one more time for being here? This was good, wasn't it? Amen. Look, you can be generous as you leave. Again, drive by the church and and see the new things that are happening there. And sign up to be a part of a connect group. And we will be back here next week, same time. No snow. No snow. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you back here.